Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I'm Victoria Reese, partner at Hydric and Struggles and the global managing partner of the Corporate Officers Practice. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Tracy Heaton, Hydric's chief legal officer and corporate secretary. Tracy joined the firm in 2021 and is responsible for the company's global legal and compliance function. Prior to joining Hydric and Struggles, Tracy was the senior vice president and chief corporate counsel for Visa Inc. Prior to Visa, Tracy was the Executive Vice President and Deputy General Counsel at the New York Stock Exchange and Associate General Counsel at United Technologies Corporation. Tracy, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Victoria. It's great to be here. Tracy, you started a new role at a new company during a time of remote and hybrid working environments. What leadership skills and experiences have you found to be essential or have you leveraged to navigate this new role and company and leading your team? You know, it's interesting. I have read plenty of articles and listened to numerous panelists talk about how challenging it is for people to join a new company during a time of remote work. And you know what? They are so right. I find that I really enjoy interacting with people face-to-face which means that during these important initial months for me at Hydric, I have found the bulk of my interactions to be over Zoom and less than satisfying on a personal level. And, you know, you have to work so much harder to make those video interactions meaningful and engaging for both sides. And so to counter that, I've really doubled down on trying to be authentic and very thoughtful about how I show up. For example, I tend to leave heavily on humor and the having a down-to-earth approach to connect with people since I find the video could be somewhat removed as a medium for communication. And also, I've invested a lot of my time to have regularly scheduled one-on-one meetings with my direct reports and periodic meetings with skip levels, as well as a weekly meeting with my leadership team. It's a huge investment of time, but it's really important to me that I build a very solid foundation for those critical relationships right from the beginning. And it's important to me that I set a tone from the top around communication to encourage my team to have an open and constructive line of communication, not just with me, but also amongst themselves and and their the Hydra colleagues. And I guess on a more meta level, I'd say that I fall squarely in the servant leadership camp. So I tend to have a very people-first mentality approach, which I believe has really helped me foster stronger relationships here and trust in these early days. Thank you, Tracy. Humor is key. You know I feel that as well. Absolutely. We increasingly see executives changing industries and functions. Given that you have switched industries a few times, how would you say having these differentiated experiences have helped you develop as a leader? A couple of thoughts on that. I think that switching industry allows you to come into your new organization with, I guess I'd say, a fresh perspective and without the burden of having a lot of ingrained assumptions. I mean, you know, you have a huge learning curve, of course, which is both exciting and intimidating. But you also have the opportunity 
through that learning process to broaden your perspective and to take things in with a refreshed growth mindset. And so sometimes I think that if you stay in an industry for a really long time, you can tend to have a bit of a tunnel vision, even if it's just on the subconscious level. And I'd also say like in my experience that the traditional negative reaction in some companies to candidates who switch industries has kind of dissipated over the years. I mean, sure, there's always going to be companies that have a preference for candidates with relevant industry experience. But as I'm sure you're saying, Victoria, there are an increasing number of companies who have realized that leaders who've been exposed to a variety of organizational cultures and management styles and market dynamics is really a good thing. And it's basically another element of diverse thinking that can be brought to the table. Personally, over the years, I've found that people often reach out to me for my perspective on things because of the fact that I've worked in various industries, not despite of it. Following up on that, are there any specific lessons you learned that you think would be good to share with other leaders who may be considering a cross-industry move? Sure. I'd say a few lessons come to mind. The first one I'd call indulge your curiosity and check your ego at the door. (laughs) And what I mean by that is sometimes people, especially senior leaders, are concerned with admitting that they don't know something on a topic. And when you start a new role in a new company, in a new industry, you have this wonderful opportunity to dig in and learn to ask a ton of questions and absorb information from all parts of the organization. So I'd say don't get wrapped up in how you think people might perceive you. Seize that window of opportunity to learn. And people, frankly, will appreciate your interest and your curiosity. And secondly, I'd say on a completely different wavelength is that if you're considering switching industries, pay attention to the regulatory profile of the company. A heavily regulated industry like the New York Stock Exchange or even a lightly regulated industry like Visa can require a lot of time and internal resource and attention to satisfy the expectations of the regulators. Now, that might be obvious, but in my experience, it can also have more consequential impacts to the company. Things like the ability of the company to move quickly and to be as creative in its strategic growth as it would like to be or as its competitors can be. And to add all of that, you've got the pressure of being under constant regulatory scrutiny. So it's a heady mix that you should just be cognizant of when considering your role, going into it with your eyes open. We continue to see chief legal officers being asked to take a greater ownership role in the enterprise and be strategic business partners. Tracy, can you share your experience navigating the evolution of the role? One area in which many chief legal officers are becoming particularly involved in is their company's broad ESG initiatives. Maybe you can touch on your role with Hydrix initiatives. You know, over the 15 years, I guess, that I've been in-house now, I've seen such an interesting evolution of the general counsel role. I think CEOs have increasingly seen their GCs as strategic thought partners and trusted confidants. You know, I've personally observed that firsthand. I know general counsels who have taken on a variety of areas, enterprise risk, information security, government relations, you name it. And I think that's a reflection of the compelling mix of skills that a really good senior lawyer can bring to the C-suite to solve complex issues and to serve as that connective tissue across the organization. 
And personally, I felt that the role that I've played as in-house counsel on M&A deals over the years has developed my strategic counselor muscles, so to say, and has driven me to basically serve as like a mini general counsel in my deals where I get to partner with the business to drive growth and help protect the company. I feel like it's been a good training ground for evolving into the general counsel role. But, you know, as you mentioned, one of the really exciting areas that is starting to come under the general counsel umbrella more so these days is ESG. And particularly in companies where they don't have the luxury of having a chief sustainability or ESG officer. I don't know. I think that wearing the ESG hat is a natural fit for GCs, given that those programs are cross-functional by nature and have many different elements, many different owners, which is, in my perspective, really a sweet spot for general counsels. And as you know, ESG is a, a topic of increased focus at the board and with shareholders, which are two stakeholder groups that the GCs are laser focused on already. And here at Hydric, bring it close to home, my deputy general counsel and I coordinate our overall ESG efforts across a number of departments. And we work to get buy-in for ideas on how we can evolve the program and keep trying to move the needle. And we also take the lead on liaising with the board and the governance committee on our ESG programs and ESG external reporting and trying to keep them abreast on what's rapidly evolving in the ESG space. And what's really amazing about Hydric, unlike many places, is that we have this market-facing group that work with clients on key ESG areas like DEI and sustainability. And so selfishly, we get to tap into that expertise and that thought leadership for our own internal benefit and our own ESG. On a more personal note, I've known you, Tracy, for a long time and fostered a great relationship that resulted in you coming to Hydric. Having been a Hydric candidate and client, how would you say executive search fit into your career strategy? We have known each other for a long time, right? I mean, we go way back. It's got to be over 10 years. It's, I think it's almost 14 years I counted. So, wow. so uh, you may not know this, but you were really an influential voice for me over the years about my career path and what strengths I had and what areas I should focus on for growth. And it was sound advice that I, I really took to heart. But, you know, honestly, I think that that is the role that a great executive search professional can play. They can be a career mentor and a sounding board and source of truth about an opportunity and sort of the broader marketplace. And my experience is that the really good search professionals know that you and they are both committed to having a frank conversation and doing the work. It's just a win-win for the candidate and the client and the search professional, which is why I've always turned to executive search professionals during my career pivots as one of the three legs of my stool alongside my own research and my own network. And that being said, I mean, I recognize that some search firms are more transactional in nature and some are more relationship-based like Hydric, but they each can serve, I think, an important purpose and be a useful leg in the proverbial stool. But if you don't mind, Victoria, I would like to turn the tables and ask you a question. What was it like finding a general counsel for your own company? Honestly, I feel very fortunate to have done some incredible searches for some incredible clients in my career. Feeling so strongly about how a good general counsel can impact the business, the day-to-day -day health of an organization, and being at Hydric and Struggles for over 20 years, 
this search was, of course, very, very meaningful. We were very fortunate to be able to attract you, Tracy, with your stellar background. Our executive team is very tight-knit and finding someone who both had the securities governance expertise combined with the commercial sensitivity and acumen, as well as someone who could lead and develop a talented team and having an appreciation for a professional services environment. Hard to find someone with all those attributes. Like most of my candidates, I have known you, Tracy, for many years and knew people you have worked with. So felt confident you would be a great ad. What has been very fun and unique and what I have not experienced in the past is seeing my placement in action in their first few months. It has been great to witness live a candidate on board and be successful. Yeah, you had me. Hello, Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy, as we bring this conversation to a close, I wanted to ask one final question. Looking ahead, which specific leadership skills and capabilities do you believe will be most important for you to help Hydric to meet its strategic goals? You know, I think that the number one skill is empathy. And empathy combined with compassion is the Reese's peanut butter cup in my mind of chocolate and peanut butter put together, even more amazing. I think that in an environment like we're operating in with the uncertainty of coming back to offices, the uncertainty in the marketplace in terms of the war and the economic fallout that might come from it and the rapidly evolving nature of the workplace and the future of work, all of these things create a fair amount of uncertainty and static. And I think being empathetic in how we're interacting with each other, how we're listening to each other, how we're showing up for each other, supporting each other, and finding that common ground that can bring us together so that we all understand where we're coming from and where we're heading to. But in that collective and compassionate way is going to be critical in the coming year or two. And so to me, it's that double whammy impact of empathy and compassion combined that really is going to, I think, make the biggest difference. Tracy, thank you for making the time to speak with us today. And most importantly, thank you for coming to Hydric. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.